Well, good morning. It is our great privilege today to have David Brickner, Executive Director of Jews for Jesus, leading us in Christ in the Passover. Jews for Jesus is really a worldwide ministry that shares the gospel, shares Jesus as the Messiah with the Jewish people, and uh, they just have a wonderful ministry. I first uh, got to know their ministry and went to their headquarters in San Francisco some 30-plus years ago, I guess. And so uh, it's just great to have David with us. So welcome him, would you? Thank you. Thank you very much. Shalom. It is wonderful to be back here at Cole. I remember the first time I was here was back in the 1980s when I was leading the music group, the Liberated Wailing Wall. And we were warmly welcomed then, and I've been back numerous times since, so it's always great to be here. For those who might not be familiar with Jews for Jesus, perhaps to you it sounds like a contradiction in terms, you know, like vegetarians for meat or something like that. But for the rest of you, you know, of course, that Jesus is Jewish and the disciples, they were all Jews. We have a little plaque on the cornerstone of our office in San Francisco that says, Jews for Jesus established 32 A.D., give or take a year. (laughs) And so what happened when the Messiah of Israel came is not only did he bring salvation for the Jewish people, which we had been waiting for, but he made it possible for there to be a great unity between Jews and Gentiles who embrace the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through faith in Israel's son. And so that means that you're enriched in the Jewish roots of your faith. That's part of your heritage in the Messiah as well. And we're going to look at one aspect of that this morning in the story of Passover. Now, for most of my Jewish people, what they know about festivals is this. Someone tried to kill us. We won, so let's eat. But in fact, the biblical feasts are so much richer than that because they reveal to us the character of the living God. More than that, many of them actually have woven into the very fabric the story of His intention to redeem us, not just Israel, but all of humanity. Passover is just such a festival. God promised to deliver the Jewish people from bondage and slavery in Egypt, and He did. But in so doing, He wove into the very fabric of that story a picture of a far greater redemption of all the world from the Egypt of sin through our Passover Lamb, who is Jesus the Messiah. So I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to that very first Passover story, which you'll find in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 12, and we'll be reading verses 5 through 8 and 11 through 15. Now, if you remember, at this time, Israel was in bondage. We were enslaved in Egypt, and God promised He was going to redeem us. And so He raised up Moses. He sent him to Pharaoh to say, let my people go. Now, Pharaoh wasn't exactly willing to listen to God and to Moses, and so God had to persuade Pharaoh to listen. And God can be very persuasive when He wants to be. And He persuaded Pharaoh by sending a series of plagues upon the land of Egypt. And uh, it's interesting, when you look in the Bible at all of these various plagues, the Jewish people who were living in a section of Egypt 
called Goshen, they were automatically exempt from the first nine of all of those ten plagues. So, for example, when darkness fell across the land of Egypt as a plague from the Lord, the Bible tells us there was light in Goshen where the Jewish people were living. Or when God struck the cattle of the Egyptians with a plague, the cattle of the Israelites were just fine. But the Jewish people were not automatically exempt from the tenth plague, the worst plague, the death of the firstborn. In order that that plague should not come upon them as well, God commanded the children of Israel to take a lamb, one for each family. So that's now where we'll pick up the story, Exodus 12, beginning with verse 5. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Now verse 11. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord." The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh, that soul must be cut off from Israel. So that is the historical institution of Passover. We know then that the first Passover was celebrated on the night of the tenth plague way back in the land of Egypt. But as we just read in this passage, God commanded the Jewish people to continue to celebrate the Passover as a lasting ordinance. And so throughout the history of the Jewish people, as we celebrated, commemorated this great redemption festival, we added various symbols and traditions in order to remind us of the first Passover back in the land of Egypt. So that by the time Jesus and the disciples were celebrating the Passover, all but two of the items that are on the table before you this morning were incorporated into that Passover. Now, of course, the most significant Passover that Jesus and the disciples celebrated was in the upper room in Jerusalem. The Last Supper was a Passover. So then how much more significant does this festival come to us for, who are followers of Jesus. How much more significant when we remember all that Jesus said and did on that night he was betrayed. And of course we're still celebrating Passover every year in Jewish homes. In April, this coming April, we'll be celebrating it again. And you know, as you go through this, realize that Jewish people without understanding this significance are celebrating this Passover. And they have yet to see, most of them, 
what you're going to see today. And there's a tremendous amount of preparation that actually goes into the celebration of the Passover. You might remember from the Gospel accounts that Jesus actually sent Peter and John ahead of him into the city of Jerusalem. He said, go prepare the Passover that we may eat. Now, this preparation involves lots of different things, but most significantly doing what the Scriptures told us back in Egypt, which was to cleanse our houses of all leaven, anything with yeast in it. So today, of course, that means all your wonder bread, all your hostess Twinkies have to go. But because Passover occurs in the spring, it's now become a time for a general house cleaning. And in the Orthodox Jewish home, mom actually begins weeks in advance of the Passover, cleaning house. Everything from floor to ceiling is cleaned. There's even a whole different set of dishes put out for use at Passover. But we have a problem. And the problem is that although it is the mother who does the cleaning of the house, the rabbis tell us only the father can certify that the house has been properly cleaned. You can see what kind of a problem we have. <laughs> well, the rabbis knew the men would be hard-pressed to get the job done right by themselves, and they also wanted to ensure peace and harmony in the home at Passover. So they got together and they thought about this cleaning problem, and they came up with a solution, which in Hebrew we call bedikat chametz, or the searching out of the leaven. And here's how it works. The night before Passover, mom, already having cleaned the house of all leaven, will take a little bit that's left over, maybe crumbs from the toast that they had for breakfast that morning, something with yeast in it, and he'll take that and hide it somewhere in the house. Now, the father, coming home that evening, will take in his hand a feather or just a wooden spoon and a napkin, and he'll go on a GI inspection to search out the leaven, looking high and low for those crumbs. Now, if his wife has been good enough to him, she's hit it in the same place she hit it last year and the year before that, so that when he finds those crumbs, he scrapes them into the spoon, wraps them up in the napkin, and what they still do to this day in Israel in Orthodox Jewish neighborhoods is then march off to the local synagogue where there's a bonfire burning in the courtyard. The father takes the package, tosses it into the bonfire, recites a prayer, and so declares the house now properly cleaned. <laughs> An ingenious way for the men to get out of the house cleaning, right? <laughs> But you know something? The Apostle Paul makes a very specific analogy to this very custom in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 6. Paul says, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover has been sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And so we see from that passage that leaven was not just something with yeast in it, but was rather a biblical symbol for sin. Leaven entering a lump of dough permeates it, causes it to rise, to become completely leavened. And so in our lives, sin permeates our lives, if you will, causes us to become puffed up in our own estimation before God. 
And Paul points out that just as leaven is a symbol for sin, so too unleavened bread, this matzah which we eat at Passover, this then becomes a symbol of purity, of righteousness before God. Now, ladies, I know you must be thinking it is entirely unfair that you are the ones having to do all the hard work cleaning house and the man gets all the ceremonial glory declaring it clean. Well, ladies, you have your very own bit of ceremonial glory, which is called the brachut haner, the lighting of the festival candles. And at this time, mom will take in her hand this book, which is called Haggadah. Haggadah, as a Hebrew word, it means the the story or the telling. And within this beautifully bound and beautifully illustrated book, you have all of the ceremony, the story, the prayers that are associated with Passover. Now, I couldn't provide you all with a Haggadah like this, but I have in your bulletin provided a brochure, which I want to encourage you to take out, which has some of these prayers that are essential to the Passover, which we will be able to say together. And if you'll open up to the second panel, you'll see the blessings. As I said, Mom begins the whole service by reading the blessing over the candles, the brachut haner, And I'm going to say that blessing in Hebrew, and then I want to invite the ladies to say it with me in English. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher kidshanu b'mitzvotzah v'tzivanu lahadlik ner Shel yom tov. Amen. Together, ladies. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us by his commandments and commands us to kindle the festival lights. Now, I think it's appropriate that it is the woman rather than the man who lights the candles and so brings light to the festival table because in the same way, it was not through a man. It was through a woman and the will of God that the light of the world came into the world. As the prophet Isaiah declared, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of my people Israel. So I think it's appropriate for all of us together now to say the messianic blessing over these candles. Together, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us through Yeshua, the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. And now our Passover celebration begins. Passover is observed largely in the home, around the family dinner table. As you can see, we have pillows on the chairs. Uh, That's simply because, if you remember when we read in Exodus 12, God commanded the first Passover to be eaten standing up. We had to have our loins girded, our shoes on our feet, our staves in our hands, ready to take off at a moment's notice. In ancient Near Eastern culture, only free people could recline at the meal. Slaves always stood. Once we were slaves, now we've been made free. And so we recline on these pillows as a symbol of our freedom and redemption. Now, the father has a very significant role to play in leading his family at Passover, just as the mother does. The the father sets himself apart by putting on special ceremonial garments. This is called the kittle. 
and it is worn by Orthodox men as they lead the Passover. And it is actually the same thing that is used for a burial shroud. And it is the one garment that all the priests and Levites would wear as they ministered in the temple, white being a symbol of purity and holiness. And so the father puts on that priestly garment as he is priest of his family. And he also puts on this mitre, which is symbolizing a crown in the ancient Near East. Because, of course, he's king of his castle, too, right? And you say, well, David, you kind of look like Emeril Lagasse. <laughs> Bam! <laughs> well, appropriately attired, the father leads his family in worship. And it's not just mothers and fathers, but children who are invited to participate in a number of different ways. And one of the most significant is through the Manishtana, the four questions usually asked by the youngest child. And these four questions really serve in their answer as the opportunity for dad to explain the meaning of Passover. So I'm going to chant the first one in Hebrew and then we'll all read them together. Manishtana halayla hazeh mikol halaylot shebchol halaylot onu ochlin chametsu matzah halayla hazeh kulo matzah Together? Why is this night different from all other nights? On all other nights we eat leavened or unleavened bread. Why on this night do we eat only unleavened bread? On all other nights we eat vegetables and herbs of all kinds. Why on this night do we eat only bitter herbs? On all other nights we are not required to dip the herbs once. Why on this night do we dip them twice? On all other nights we eat sitting up or reclining. Why on this night do we recline? The father then answers and explains the meaning of Passover to the family. And just as there are four questions which serve as that basis for retelling the story of Passover, so here you can see in front of you there are four cups of Passover which serve as the outline of the celebration itself. In fact, all of us only have one cup as we sit at the meal, but we drink from that cup four different times during Passover. And each time we drink from the cup, there's a different name and symbolism given to the cup. And so the first time we drink is called Kiddush. Kiddush means sanctification. And so with this cup, we sanctify everything that is to follow in the Passover. Now, Jesus said the same prayer that we're going to say together. And then our Lord said something you'll remember afterward that directly relates to this Hebrew prayer. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Borei pariha gafen Amen Together in English. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And then Jesus said, It is with great desire that I have desired to eat this Passover with you. But I tell you truly, I will not partake of the fruit of the vine again until I drink it anew in the kingdom. You see, Jesus spoke of this Passover being fulfilled, a new Passover, if you will, in the kingdom. And with this cup, He signaled that kingdom and sanctified all that was to follow in that special Passover he had in the upper room. 
So everything is now blessed and sanctified. Everything has a particular order to it as well. Now, Seder is the Hebrew word for order. Passover is referred to as a Seder meal. And this is a Seder plate. And despite its appearance, it's not for deviled eggs. You notice the compartments on the Seder plate. Well, they correspond to the food items that I have on display down through here. So a little bit of each of these food items is placed on the Seder plate. And the first one that we have is called carpus, which is the Hebrew word for greens. In this case, parsley. Now, the rabbis tell us the greens represent life. And we will take some salt water, which represents the tears of life. And we dip the greens into the salt water and so we are reminded that during our slavery in Egypt our lives were immersed in tears. A life without redemption is a life immersed in tears. But we also remember that God redeemed us with a mighty outstretched arm. He brought us out of bondage and slavery. He brought us through that salty Red Sea and into freedom. And so by His mercy and grace, our lives can be redeemed from the bondage and the tears of bondage. And so we eat the greens to remember that. We can now partake of life redeemed from the tears of bondage by the mercy and grace of Almighty God. The second item on the Seder plate, horseradish. We call it Jewish Dristan. Guaranteed to unclog the sinus passages in the back of your head. Now the horseradish, or maror, as it's called in Hebrew, is the very bitterness that we were told in Exodus 12, the bitter root, the bitter herb. This is exactly what we eat. What they ate back then, we're still eating today. And what we do is we take some of the unleavened bread and we say a blessing... Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Together. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And then we take this bread and we dip it into the horseradish and get at least a teaspoon of it on there like this. And then... I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Anybody want to try? No? You want to? Come on up. Come on. She's a brave soul. Wonderful. <laughs> your mother's saying, I can't believe she's doing this. What's your name? Alyssa. Alyssa. Okay, now you're supposed to take the whole thing in your mouth. Are you ready? Okay, and then don't walk away. You want to stay up here, okay? Go ahead. Go ahead. And chew it. Nice. Now, let everybody see what happens. <laughs> Can you swallow it? Swallow it quick. She's working on it. Can you spit it out? Can you spit it out? Oh. <laughs> well, okay, why don't you go to the bathroom and spit it out, okay? <laughs> What's happening? She's a brave soul, isn't she? She'll be fine. But she's crying. <laughs> and that's exactly what happens. All of us are to enter in, the, the Haggadah tells us, enter into this experience. Uh, we all remember the tears our forefathers shed during their slavery in Egypt. And so we're crying just like they did. And the bitter herb that we eat is a reminder of that bitterness of slavery. 
Now, when Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples, he had said to them, one of you is going to betray me. Remember that? Well, the disciples were naturally upset. They said, Lord, is it I? Is it him? Who is it, Lord? And Jesus said, he who dips in the sop with me this night, that one will betray me. You remember that? Well, here's the problem. That's the sop, the bitter herb. And every one of the disciples dipped with Jesus that night. They all did. He was basically saying to them, guess, you want to know who's betraying me tonight? You all are. And he was right, wasn't he? And so have we all partaken of the bitterness. Later that evening, Jesus again said the same thing. He took the bread and this time, dipping it, he handed it to Judas Iscariot. And he said to him, what you must do, go. Go and do quickly. The Bible tells us that when Judas took the bread with the sop, Satan entered into him and he went out into the night. Maror is indeed bitterness and tears. The next item on the Seder plate is called Chah-Ro-Seth. Can you all say that? Chah-Ro-Seth. Not bad, but you've got to get that Cha in there. Yeah. You know, just don't look at your neighbor when you say it, all right? <laughs> now, Chah-Ro-Seth is a sweet mixture. It has chopped apples and nuts and honey and raisins. It's absolutely delicious. But it represents the mortar that we use to make bricks for Pharaoh during our slavery in Egypt. Kind of looks like mortar. And so you might ask the rabbi, well, now wait a minute, rabbi. If Haroseth represents mortar for bricks, which was bitterness and toil to our people, why is it so sweet? Alyssa, come on back up here. I got one more thing for you. <laughs> this is good, don't worry. So the rabbi answers and he says, even the bitterest of our toils grew sweet when we knew that our redemption drew near. And so we take the unleavened bread and we dip it into the haroset. Now trust me, Alyssa, you're going to be glad you did this. Okay? <laughs> she doesn't trust me. Go ahead. I'm absolutely sure. We Mmm, now let everybody see your face. <laughs> I bet you can't taste the horseradish anymore, can you? It's just sweet, huh? Great, you're a brave girl. Let's give her a hand. That's also entering in, because even as we remember the bitterness of our bondage and of our slavery, we remember that that sweetness of our redemption covers even the bitterest of things that we have to face in this world. And that is a powerful redemption indeed. Now, this is Hazaret, the bitter root itself, the horseradish root. Don't worry, Alyssa. Uh, <laughs> this is just a symbol, which, of course, this is what's ground up to make the maror, the bitter herb, remembering that it's not just the things that we experience in life that are bitter, but the root of life itself is bitter. These last two items, the only two on the table that were not part of that Passover in the upper room. And you'll understand why in just a minute. This is Hagiga. As you can see, Hagiga is a brown egg that has been hard-boiled. 
But Hagiga was also the name that was given to the Paschal sacrifice, that Passover lamb that was sacrificed in the temple at the Passover. So this egg represents that sacrifice and it's brown because it had to be burnt. We peel the egg and we slice it. But before we eat the slice, we dip it into the salt water, which represents tears. Why? Simply because this, Hagiga, is a memorial to a sacrifice that can no longer occur. The only place the Paschal Lamb was sacrificed after Egypt was in the holy place. First the tabernacle in the wilderness and then the temple in Jerusalem. And in 70 AD, Titus and his Roman legions marched into Jerusalem destroying city and temple. And from that day until this very present day, there has been no sacrifice. There has been no holy place. And so Jewish people today mourn that loss through Hagigah. In fact, because of that, at most Passover tables, we don't even eat the meat lamb anymore. We have some other meat as a main course. And this is Zeroah, the shank bone of a lamb, which also, by the way, is the same word used in Isaiah 53, the Zeroah of the Lord, the arm of the Lord. Zeroah, the shank bone of the lamb, Reminds us of those lambs God commanded us to take way back in Egypt. And we read about them in Exodus 12, both in the beginning in verse 5 and later on in the chapter, we find out the very specific instructions about this lamb. It had to be a year old male without spot, without blemish, without any broken bone. We were to take that lamb and to sacrifice it. Which of course reminds us of another perfect Paschal lamb who, contrary to Roman custom, did not have his legs broken when he hung on the cross. And so did Jesus fulfill messianic prophecy. We come now to the second cup, which is called the cup of plagues. And we don't drink from this cup right away, but rather we dip our finger into the cup and drop one drop on the plate in front of us for each of the ten plagues God visited on the Egyptians. You see, a full cup is a symbol of fullness of joy. So what we're doing is we're symbolically lessening our joy, remembering the suffering of the Egyptians. You remember the blood, hail, locusts, boils, cattle disease, darkness, slaying of the firstborn, death. You see, nine times Pharaoh hardened his heart. Each time God sent a plague on the land of Egypt. It's a terrible thing to harden your heart against God. Nine times he had the opportunity. Nine times! But the tenth was the worst of all, the death of the firstborn. Now God told the children of Israel to take the blood of that lamb that they had sacrificed, to put it in a basin, to go outside of their homes, and to put that blood on the doorposts of their houses, applying it on the top lentil and the two side posts. Blood of the lamb, top lentil, two side posts. And some have remarked that this may have indeed made the sign of a cross with the blood of the Lamb on that doorpost. That night death flew through the land of Egypt. There was weeping and there was wailing as never before till Pharaoh cried out, let them go, let them go or I'll die. 
But everywhere that the blood of the lamb was on the top lintel and the two side posts, death passed over that house. And so redemption came that night to the children of Israel in the land of Egypt. And because I believe today in Jesus as my Messiah, and because I have by faith applied the blood of His sacrifice to the doorpost of my heart, when death comes to visit me, death is going to pass over me also because I have eternal life. Praise God for that. Hallelujah. What a redemption. Now this is called the matzah You already know that matzah is the unleavened bread we eat at Passover. And tosh just means bag or pouch. And that's what this is. It's a special bag for actually three pieces of the unleavened bread. And each piece is in its own section, its own compartment of the matzah And the rabbis... Tell us, they explain in the Haggadah, that the matzah represents a unity because, of course, you have three pieces of bread in one bag, three in one. And yet, there's a bit of a disagreement among the rabbis as to which unity it is this matzah represents. Writing in the Haggadah, one says, well, it represents the unity of the patriarchs, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Another rabbi says, no, no, no. The matzah represents the unity of worship in Israel as represented by the priests, the Levites, and the people of Israel. And so on go several more explanations. Well, I believe the matzah represents a unity also. I believe, however, that the matzah represents the unity of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here's why. During a particular time of the Passover, we will reach into the second or the middle compartment of the matzah Now you can ask the rabbi, Rabbi, why do we take the second piece and leave the first and third pieces untouched? And the answer is, we don't know. <laughs> it's tradition, right? So there are three things that you need to know about this matzah, this unleavened bread, what makes it kosher, acceptable for Passover. First of all, this is a whole loaf of bread, but look at it. It's a cracker. It's flat. Why? There is no yeast in it. We're very concerned that that be the most important thing about this. You cannot have any leavening. And so as you roll out the dough, you very quickly poke holes in the bread to make sure that there is no rising. And then you bake it at a high temperature on a rack so that all matzah is unleavened, pierced, and striped. Even as our sinless Messiah was striped by those Roman whips, pierced by the nails in his hands and feet and the spear in his side, as Isaiah predicted 700 years before concerning the Messiah, he was pierced through for our transgressions and by his stripes we are healed. We take this second piece from the middle compartment of the matzah and we break it. Now we take this broken piece and we wrap it in a linen cloth or in a linen bag and it's called the afikomen. And that means he shall come later. He shall come later, afikomen. We carry this 
outside of the room of celebration now to be hid for a time, buried, if you will. And this is such an important part of the Passover that the entire celebration cannot be completed without that second piece. We'll get back to that in just a minute. Now I'm curious, how many of you have never been to a full Passover meal before? Wow, so many. Well, if you should have the opportunity, I want to encourage you to go to one. If there is one announced, uh, I know Shirley might have one. Uh, And uh, by the way, we have our co-laborers here. Uh, Shirley Atani, where are you? Are you here? There she is in the back. Some of you know Shirley. We have a table out in the back. If you'd like to know more about how you could do that, perhaps you might want to talk to Shirley or another Shirley Kaufman who's here uh, who has Passover seders from time to time. If you're going to go, let me warn you, eat lightly that day or not at all because you're really in for a meal. I want to assure you Passover is much more than parsley and horseradish. We eat and we eat. Now, we've come through the meal of Passover. I hope you've all had enough to eat. Because this last part of the Seder meal is the most important for we as Christians to understand. Towards the end of the meal, the head of the house will say to all the kids, go search for the afikoman, that bread broken and wrapped in a linen cloth and hid for a time. Now, this is a great time of fun for the kids. They didn't see where it was hidden. So they go running around the house looking for it. I'm wondering, Alyssa... Did you happen to see where that was hidden? You didn't. You did? Okay. Why don't you come up and find it for us? All right. Sorry to embarrass you, Alyssa. I saw you looking at me. I thought for sure you were. She looks for it diligently. She finds it and receives a reward for finding that second piece. How do you like that? (laughs) Oh, sorry. See, kids, you've got to pay attention in church. <laughs> All right. Having rewarded the, the child, the head of the house then stands and he continues this ancient ceremony of the matzotash and the afikoman buying and wrapping this bread from the linen cloth. He now breaks off small pieces for everyone seated at the table. Everyone now receives a piece of 